You are listening to Mosaic's Midweek Podcast. Through a series of personal reflections and stories, we share how the kingdom of God is breaking into our hearts and our city as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Mosaic Midweek Podcast. I am here again with Zeru. Zeru, how are you doing? Doing well. It's good to be back. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay, so we're we're talking this week about this distinction between uh, the altar and the table, right? We're going through this communion series. We're thinking through the Lord's Supper and how uh, has it shaped us in the past and how do we want it to shape us going forward? And so I think really the, just the first question to you is how have you seen the table uh, being used as the altar? What has that been like for you in your experience? Right. Um the, the table has become the altar in a lot of my church experiences, if not all, uh, like in every time we've done it, because it, communion time, the Lord's Supper, when we've come to the table, it has typically been a time of reflection, sobriety, and mourning over the cause of what led Jesus to have to go to the cross, being our sin. And so because of that, because of that recognition, because of the weight and the sorrow that comes with the fact that the son of man had to die on account of sins of the world. It's also, I mean, in a very real sense, the, the opposite end of that is true too, because of his sacrifice, we can have joy, but a lot of the atmospheres that have been created in that space of communion together has typically been that altar type of repentance based uh, setting. Yeah. Yeah. I, there is a level of, just pure penance that is looked at um, at at the table, how people we have typically practiced in the past. Uh, This kind of solemn, sorrowful, uh, rehearse the sins of your past week uh, and, and kind of get it all out there and then, uh, and then approach the, the cracker and the juice uh, to, to receive. And, you know, at some level there is a hyphenated, stance there, the altar table, um, and, and many scholars and theologians have, have depicted it like that, which I think is a, is a fine picture, but it just feels like most of the time the emphasis is on the altar right. and not necessarily on the table. Uh, but if the altar is a place that represents death and the table is a place that represents life, uh, certainly we know we can't have the table without the altar, but right. the experiences of the two should be different. Uh, they should not be the same. And so, uh, yeah, my experience has been very much similar. There's been a, uh, yeah, rehearse your sins of this past week and get them out there uh, so that you can then come uh, to the table. But it's all in a very tight window, and yeah. it's all in a very short amount of time. Right. Uh, which actually, I think, very much diminishes what the experience of the table should be as opposed to highlight yeah. what the experience of the table should be. And I think with that, there's this notion of holding the the weight of what the table represents uh, together with the the light joy that we should experience at the table. How, how do you think we should be thinking through those two categories, the weightiness of what it means to come to the table, but also the great and sheer excitement of being recipients of it. 
Right. I think I'm going to piggyback off of one of the last things you said for that first question, because I think the amount of time we have will affect our ability to seep into the weightiness and the joy of it. Right. Uh, so as we see, I don't know too much about what happened in love feasts in the early church, but I do know they are at a table and they're dining with each other. And that celebratory excitement is it's, it's possible because they're there for a while. They have, they have much to speak about. That doesn't mean it has to be exclusive to just this uh, naive triumphalism that comes with victory. There can be a weightiness of acknowledging the price it took to get to there. But I, I, I think what you just said about time is very insightful. The time allotted to communion in churches is typically a five to 10 minute window that only prepares you for self-reflection and introspection and maybe a quick smidge of gratitude for Jesus. So I, uh, my answer is not much different from kind of that transition you were just saying. I, I think that time, time extending it can help cultivate that uh, holding of weightiness and joy yeah. together. Yeah, I was, I was reflecting the other day on something that Paul says to the church at Corinth when he is kind of, He's talking about the Corinthian culture, and he's saying, if Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, then we should eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Right. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. And I also think the inverse of that is true, mm. which is this idea of we should uh, eat, drink, and be merry for yesterday we were dead. Right. Uh, and there is a level of joy and exuberance and excitement, and it doesn't mean that we're always going to come to a time of communion with great happiness right. or everything in our life is just going swimmingly. But I think there is a, a, a level when, when you have been given something um, that you don't deserve. I think of Christmas, right? People give gifts at Christmas. Right. Uh, why? Right. Why do they get gifts? There's no reason. Why do you give gifts at a, at a birthday party? There's, there's fundamentally no real reason. You just made it around the sun again. Right. Uh, and yet the response to receiving that gift is not sorrow mm -hmm. uh, or I feel bad for receiving this gift or, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life that I don't deserve. I'm not sure if I should receive this gift. Right, no, the response right. is, oh my gosh, what a gift. That's right. Uh, and it's this just giant reception in this heart that is welling up with gratitude and thankfulness and therefore joy. And our expression of joy comes out in the words that we say and some of the emotions that we feel and our experience of being around other people who are giving us this gift. And I think the same is true of communion. Right. We, of, of course, we do not deserve anything that God has given us. All of life is a gift. And yet in the midst of that gift is great joy, right. not... Um, more sort of sorrow and solemn, quiet reflection. There is a there is absolutely room in the Christian life for solemn, quiet reflection. Right. But typically, it is not at the experience of the table. Um, so we we should think of this table as as a meal where we are in the presence of God and in the presence of one another. And at family meals. It's not always jubilation, but a lot of times there is a genuine joy with being with one another in the presence of God. And we should 
seek to exhibit those things uh, because right. we have been given life and is represented through the bread and the cup right. uh, as opposed to feeling uh, guilty that we were receiving such a gift. Mm. Um, and then I think the, the last thing is why, why should we view the table as not only God's promise to us, but our commitment to him? Yeah, I think it should translate not only into receiving God's promise to us, because in 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 being committed to Him, it shows how much we how how powerful, right? We believe those promises actually are. If they're just promises we receive that lead us to doing nothing, that's first of all, that's a pretty unfortunate thing that we don't get to participate in His mission. You know what I mean? Like to mm. to just come to the table. And I mean, it's fine to get a gift and just receive it. You don't need to feel the obligation to just reciprocate it just because something's given to you. And that's not even what our commitment is either. Our commitment is not like, okay, God gave me a promise. Thus, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. There is that sense of because God has done this, the natural response of my being that has been transformed in light of him is to say, God has reached down to us and he has given us these precious promises in the bread and the wine. And, and he, he's decided to do it through this community of people who are in communion with him to go out into a world that hasn't quite experienced that yet. And that's always been, that's always been God's way of doing things, whether that be through Israel, who he had chosen to be a light to the nations, or, or, or the church today, who, who has been the, his, his, his representatives or his, his called out manifest wisdom in the world to show that union with God is the best thing you could ever have. And so when we come to the table and we receive of those promises, it, it, it should turn into commitment because we've been touched. We've been touched by those promises. Yeah, mm. that's yeah, that's good. I, I, I like the, and even just the physical, the physical representation of our senses being heightened by the smell and the taste right. and the physical touch uh, is just this reminder of God to us. But it's also our uh, our reminder to ourselves that we are not just passively right. receiving something. We do receive something, but we are active participants. Right. Uh, so the receiving of it and then the giving of it away. Right. Uh, and I, I, I feel like, in many ways, communion is this moment in our week where we look back on our previous week or we look forward to the coming week and we just sit down at a table and pause uh, literally with our bodies um, and we refill ourselves up with the elements of the Lord's table mm -hmm. to then go be in some ways embodied those elements to the world, right? right? We receive we the cup bread. poured out for us and we go pour our lives out for one another. We receive the bread of life and then we become the food that the world feeds on. That's really uh, good. And so I, I think really trying to, to, to realize it's not just that we, we are receiving, but we, we always receive the rhythm of the Christian life and discipleship is this constant receiving and then pouring out. We, we, the way to gain your life is to lose it. Yes. The way of living is dying. It's it's always this inverse. And so we receive to then give away. And I, I think there is a, a covenant, which is God has, has chosen us and has called us his children. And so we are 
unbelievably overwhelmed by his grace. Right. And the only proper response to being overwhelmed by his grace is to become the overwhelming grace by the Spirit for our neighbors. Uh, and so it's this covenant, this voluntary agreement that we have also signed up for. Um, God has chosen us, and we have by faith chosen him. Um, and in that, we get to be a part of the story that God is writing to redeem the world. That's really good. So, I, you know, I'm really excited. I, I think that in the coming weeks uh, and months as we press more into this and then begin to practice it, uh, that we uh, become a this this table becomes a place of both communion with God and joy in God, a delight, a pleasure in uh, the person of of Jesus, uh, and then a moment to re up during the week to say, okay, I am recalibrating. Here's what's happened in the past week. Here's what's going to happen in the future week. Uh, I need to look back and receive the grace God has given to me. And then I need to look forward at the grace that God is going to sustain me right. uh, in this coming in these coming days through through triumph or through heartache or through difficulty or through the mundanity of life. Uh, we can feed on the bread that is um, Jesus and mm. and his uh, physical resurrected body. Uh, so until next time, grace, and peace.